I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You and I, for a few minutes here, we're going to chat about vaccines, specifically a COVID-19 vaccine. We have heard from big smart people in medicine and government that there on the horizon is a vaccine. That in coming weeks or months, we may see a vaccine. As we spoke to the uh, the expert here in the state of Utah, the the gentleman who is responsible for uh, the plan for rolling out the vaccine once, and if it becomes available, he, on a phone call not that long ago with the CDC, uh, indicated that there were some projections uh, and some predictions that could show that could uh, lead to a vaccine being made available here in the state of Utah before the end of the month of October. All right, uh, there's some other predictions that push it down the road a little bit. But whatever the case is, uh, we are, I sure hope, getting towards uh, the end of this battle if, in fact, the the vaccine uh, is the fix-all. And, of course, it is not. Of course, uh, you know, life is going to be different for some time to come, but uh, it will certainly change uh, once a vaccine becomes the norm. And uh, I'm looking forward to that, very much so. I will remind you of a conversation I had just last week with the president of the Navajo Nation, uh, President Nez. If you remember, there was some news made by the nation last week that for the first time since March, the Navajo Nation was able to boast of zero, zero positive cases for COVID-19 in a single day since the month of March. Zero. Now, that changed the next day, and I think they have seen some cases since. But there was a day last week when zero members of the Navajo Nation tested positive for the coronavirus. And I, I wanted to speak to him. So I gave him a call and uh, said, hey, h- how do you feel? What does this say about the tactics you have employed? They've been very strict. Uh, it's lockdown almost every weekend. In fact, that may still be the case. Businesses uh, and their ability to operate has been curtailed. Uh, the ability for people to move around as freely as they used to has been curtailed pretty significantly. The Navajo Nation has employed some strict uh, strict rules, and yet still uh, one of the most hardest-hit parts of, uh, of the United States. And so uh, that wonderful news of zero positive cases last week was wonderful. And as I spoke, as I spoke to President Nez, again, of the Navajo Nation, as he and I talked back and forth, he said that one of the, the fears— that he was holding on to was the combination of uh, COVID fears and complications which could arise from the flu as we move into the flu season. And that kind of triggered a, a question in my mind, and I asked him, I said, President, will you, be, will you be encouraging 
the nation, the members of the Navajo Nation, to uh, to seek out and get uh, flu vaccines. And he responded uh, by saying that he would encourage the healthcare providers to make available flu vaccines. I asked a follow-up question and said, President Nez, will you be getting a flu shot? And uh, he said that it is not his plan. He has not in the past been one to get a flu shot, that he uh, maintains his health through exercise. He's a a runner and dieting. Uh, And so he doesn't intend on getting uh, a flu shot. I pushed him a little bit and he said, well, if if, if my example becomes necessary, then uh, I may in that fashion. And so we extended that conversation onto the the potential vaccine for uh, COVID-19. And he expressed a, a bit of skepticism, uh, very much looking forward to a, a safe and effective vaccine should it be uh, made available uh, to the Navajo Nation. He wanted, he, he wanted uh, members of the nation to participate, certainly, uh, in uh, both the receipt and the study uh, of that vaccine, didn't want them left out. And that all leads me to uh, an interesting—so that attitude, the, the, the attitude of skepticism, that's the, uh, the first time, really, that I had been exposed to— uh, you know, uh, an, an attitude of skepticism about the safety and efficacy uh, of a, a COVID-19 vaccine once the FDA gives it its stamp of approval. And so when I, this morning, uh, opened up the Deseret News and saw that there was a Deseret News Hinckley Institute poll asking Utahns if an FDA-approved vaccine for COVID-19 was made available, would you take it? Again, the question, if an FDA-approved vaccine for COVID-19 was made available, would you take it? Here are the results. 52% of respondents said yes. 52% of Utahns responding to this poll said that if and when an FDA-approved vaccine for COVID-19 was made available, that they would take it. Now, there are two other categories for response. One quarter, 24% of those surveyed said no. No, they would not take a COVID-19 vaccine if it was made available. And then 23% were not sure. 23% were not sure. What would you do? What will you do? And why? Brian Poole is an assistant professor of microbiology and molecular biology. And someday I'll understand the difference uh, at BYU, he did a study looking at why people are hesitant about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. This poll, this similar question, was uh, was asked nationwide. Uh, and Professor Poole's study findings show that 68% of Americans would get the vaccine uh, if it were made available in the next 30 days. So that's 68% if it were made available in the next 30 days. That, according to his findings, jumps to 73% if we're looking further down the road, six months down the road. That, I presume, has to do with uh, you know maybe more confidence in research and development uh, the further on down the road things get. Now, this is very interesting, uh, the, the difference between uh, that 68% and the 73% nationwide. Why? Well, because there are, uh, there are studies that show, depending on the efficacy of a vaccine, in order to get something toward something in the arena of uh, herd immunity or to have a population-wide uh, bit of efficacy, uh, we need to be uh, we need people receiving the vaccine uh, at percentages uh, between sixty and seventy percent. 
All right. In Utah, 52% of individuals are ready and raring to go. 23% are not sure if I, people like me, who are willing and eager to get the vaccine once it's available, if we can convince the 23%, we add them to our 52% pool, we've got 70 plus. And that, according to the pool, will be sufficient uh, to, uh, to safeguard ourselves as a community and really uh, put the punch to this uh, epidemic. I have a question for you. I want to know if you will be receiving it. Uh, but before we get to that invitation, I got Nick Wyatt here in studio with some breaking news. Nick, what's going on? Well, Lee, we just received word from the Utah Department of Health. Uh, troubling numbers, COVID-19 related. The state is reporting 747 new cases today. That continues the upward trend that we've been seeing. And state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn is calling this a new spike in cases similar to what we saw early in the summer. So this moves the state's rolling seven-day average to 585 cases per day. It crossed that 500 mark for the first time yesterday. So uh, this is definitely things that uh, the Department of Health is worried about and saying, you know, this is kind of an indicator that people are not taking the safety guidelines uh, as, I guess, uh, seriously as they, they ought to be. Fortunately, we're, we're only reporting one new death today. I know that uh, any death is, is an unfortunate thing, but uh, only one new death for a total of 437. 747 new cases, huh? That's a, that's a high watermark for some time now. We've been enjoying much lower numbers than that. Uh, Seven-day rolling average brings us up to 585. Shoot, Nick, uh, one Utah has lost their life. This is a male older than 85 uh, who is not hospitalized at the time of death. Uh, the, the one number that I often follow when these numbers are released by the Department of Health is something I'm always looking for is the total number of hospitalizations, which, luckily, if there is any bright spot in these numbers you're bringing us right here, uh, it is that right now only 100, only, uh, but 115 uh, Utahns are currently hospitalized with COVID-19. The high watermark there well, was 200-plus over the past number of months. So if we're looking for a bright spot, it is that hospital capacity is not being changed challenged as it has been in the past, but uh, we got to get this 747 under control. We got to get our positive cases down. Uh, we got to get our rolling average down. Nick Wyatt, thanks so much. Uh, before I go to break, my invitation to you again is will you seek out a COVID-19 vaccine once it's made available, once the FDA gives its stamp of safety and efficacy? Will you? Will you? The number is 801-575-8255. 801-575-8255. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Tell me your thoughts on the vaccine. Are you getting one or are you not? And tell me why next on Live Mike. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I've had a, a few moments to just kind of look at these new numbers and digest them a little bit. I have only speculation for you right now, but there are some answers to questions that I have that uh, the, the producers here are working on tracking down and tracking them down for me. So as you heard Nick Wyatt break here just before the, the news, 747 new positive cases from yesterday. That is a, a high number that we haven't seen for, for a long time. Uh, we have been over the past little while. Uh, we've been enjoying number enjoying. Uh, we've been experiencing numbers uh, far less than that. In fact, the rolling seven day average on September first was what you remember? It was uh, it was shy of four hundred. Right now, we are looking at a seven-day rolling average of 585 per day. That is a percent positive uh, rate in the rolling seven-day sense of 11.1%. That is no good if you talk to the smart doctors. And uh, there are, though, there are two interesting numbers uh, that I would point out, plus something that we have learned over the past few days. Uh, there has been one death 
reported uh, one additional death since yesterday. This is a male older than 85, a resident of Salt Lake County, and this gentleman was not hospitalized at the time of his death. Also, another number to be mindful of always, and this, my my reason for focusing uh, so much on this number goes back to the earliest days of the, the coronavirus, when we first started learning about the real threat that it posed, uh, not only to us physically, but in terms of our healthcare system uh, flexing and testing its capacity, that is hospitalizations. Right now here in the state of Utah, there are only 115 people currently hospitalized. We have had rolling averages lower than the 585 mark we're showing now, while at the same time having almost twice as many people hospitalized. Something is dramatically different right now about the numbers we are observing now. And if you go back a few days and you remember what Dr. Dunn shared with us about the young people, the young college-age people in Utah County, attributing or contributing in large part to the 39% of additional cases which came from there, I wonder, due to the low hospitalization rate, the relatively low number of deaths, while at the same time a very high uh, number of positive cases, is it these young people? We're trying to track that information down. I can only speculate. We're working to confirm. I asked you before the break, too, about getting a vaccine. Are you comfortable doing so? Uh, we heard from the director of the CDC that uh, the timeline might be pushed back a little bit. It might be early next year. But whatever the case, when that vaccine makes it to Utah, when the FDA says, yep, that is safe, yep, that is effective, and yep, we are ready to distribute, will you be on the receiving end of a vaccine? Todd from Provo has some thoughts. Todd, how are you? Good, you? I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm a little bothered by these numbers, uh, but as you heard me explain, uh, there are, you know, if we're looking for silver linings, I think, I think that there is some positive, and it is in these lower hospitalization uh, rates. But uh, we're talking about vaccines. You, you, you tell me, uh, when the vaccine becomes available, will you be lining up? Well, yes, because it's, it's very simple in my opinion. Um, I was listening to some experts, in particular the one out of Hong Kong, and she said that if we continue on the current course of what we're doing, which is restricting the virus, it will take 10 years to reach herd immunity. Mm. This is the woman who came out of Wuhan and escaped through Hong Kong. The problem here is is if we don't use the virus, the vaccination, we're just going to sit here for that long until we reach herd immunity. So when you talk about going back to normal, we've got to get an effective virus into the pop, uh, vaccine into the population, or we got to infect everybody, or we're just going to sit here and do this for a long, long time. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in my early 50s. I'm healthy. I'll probably not be somebody that they want to give the vaccine to right off the bat. But, um, yeah, when it becomes available, I'll probably do it. Yeah. You mentioned to producer Amy that uh, that you have some family members who have participated in the vaccine trial. What can you tell us about that? Um, well, you want me to tell you, I don't know how much detail you want, but they both volunteered for the Pfizer um, trial, which is 30,000 people. Now, this is all secondhand from my dad and my sister, sure. but they went in to, the, to get the vaccine. It was randomly generated. Um, the woman or the man who came in to inoculate them um, 
can, doesn't get to choose who gets the virus and who does gets the vaccine and who doesn't. Because the, the way it works, they, a, a portion of the of the large pool, a portion of the thirty thousand will get yes. uh, an actual uh, you know potential yes. vaccine. The other half will get a placebo. Those individuals then return to their lives, interact with you know their coworkers, mm-hmm. uh, folks at school, and then they are examined later to see how uh, you know what type of resiliency they they built up. And that's what your uh, your father and sister went through. Yes, and so they are—they're—they're they're supposed to keep track of their symptoms on an app. Um, I, my sister is a doctor. Noticed she's 46. My dad's 82. She noticed that the vials were different when they gave them to them. Oh. So we—we we assume that one got the placebo, one got uh, the vaccine. Um, then they're supposed to get, I think, seven blood tests over the next two years. Obviously, they're tracking antibodies, and if they kind of stick around for a while. And my dad, my sister's arm was sore the next day. My dad wasn't. But the next day after that, he felt kind of sick. Hmm. So I'm kind of hoping he got it because he's 82. But then that was 45 days ago, and they got their booster a few days ago. So the the second shot, and they're supposed to track this now. So when they talk about timelines at the national level, people think it's being pushed by politics. But the Pfizer CEO said that, he, he didn't take any money from the federal government, and they're going to only release it when it's safe, and the FDA says it's safe after phase three, which is where they're right now. Yeah. This is phase three with my dad and my sister. So they haven't had a lot of symptoms. They've done pretty well. And I, you know, if the FDA approves it, I'd encourage people to do it, or we're going to be sitting doing this for a long time. Todd, I, I agree with you 100%. Thank you for your call. And, and please, honestly, pass along to your sister and your father uh, my appreciation, uh, their willingness to participate in this uh, in this trial uh, quite literally is, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic, uh, but they are contributing and participating in the saving of human life. Uh, and that is an admirable thing. And that's something that, uh, you know, hopefully when this is all behind us, they'll be able to uh, talk to the grandkids and the kids and all the rest of the family, pass down uh, the story of how uh, grandpa and aunt uh, so-and-so participated in this uh, historic uh, trial. Todd, thanks again for your time. Uh, before we go to break, I want to go back to the numbers. 747 new cases. 747. We haven't seen that in some time. This, uh, again, reported from the Utah Department of Health. Dr. Angela Dunn, she, as she did the other day when we saw that massive spike in Utah County, uh, she included with this an explanation and a statement. I want to share that with you before we go to the break. Uh, Dr. Dunn says, We learned from our experience this summer that wearing masks and participating, uh, or rather, and practicing physical distancing, along with staying home when we're sick and washing our hands regularly, can help slow the spread of COVID-19 in our communities. Uh, This is Lee talking to you again, not the statement. Uh, You are going to hear this advice uh, repeated ad nauseum. And I'll tell you what, as a talk show guy, I'd like to be talking about new things and different things. But this advice, in my opinion, and in the opinion of experts, epidemiologists, all right, uh, this advice ought be repeated uh, frequently. And so that's an explanation for why I'm reading all this. But now uh, she goes into, beyond just the advice, she explains a bit. We are currently, this is back to Dr. Dunn's statement, quote, we are currently experiencing a new spike in cases similar to what we saw earlier in the summer. It's time to reiterate the importance of people taking these preventative measures, masks, physical distancing, staying home with sick. We can prevent unnecessary death and 
illness. I would include in that advice very specifically the need to be mindful uh, when choosing our social activities. If you are one of these young and dumb folks who are going to the parties in Utah County or in any county or in any place, uh, you gotta you gotta get smart. All right, it's not just you. You do go home to a family. You do go into a workplace the next day. You do go shopping, and whatever you picked up at the party can easily be spread. And if it spreads too far, we're locking down again. All right, we gotta we gotta avoid that. Quick break. When we return, I will be speaking with Connor Boyack, president of Libertas Institute. Facial recognition. We're going to take a jump from COVID to facial recognition. How is it being used here in the state of Utah? How is law enforcement using it? And what changes have been made? We'll find out from Connor Boyack next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.